Our reading for today is found in Genesis 4, verses 1 to 16. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is God's word. Thank you. Thank you uh, for reading. And uh, we uh, continue then this morning and uh, next week we're at the end of Genesis 4 and then uh, we'll take a break from the book of Genesis having looked at this uh, book of beginnings. But uh, this is a fairly bleak story, isn't it? (laughs) The first human being born is a murderer. Hooray! Let's, uh, Let's pray and then we'll look at this together. Father, here is a story of uh, the wickedness of man, uh, your justice, your mercy, uh, and we pray we'd understand all these things rightly. We pray we'd be those who don't trust in ourselves, or indeed humanity as a whole, but look to you and trust in you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's quite hard to know quite what um, you're capable of, really for good and for bad. But given the right conditions, circumstances, how how bad could you be? 
I read a very curious interview a few weeks ago with a man called Brian Masters. He's a writer. Uh, he's made his living writing biographies of mass murderers. That's a quirky way to make your living, or a slightly miserable way to make your living, you might think. Uh, but that's what he's done. Uh, Rose West, Fred Nielsen, Dennis Nielsen, uh, a number of others. And uh, it was striking in the interview because he was making the point... Actually, it's, it's quite nice to demonise these figures... But anyone is capable of it, given the right circumstances. The purpose of society, he argues, is to curtail evil, to limit, to, to put parameters around people. Uh, and when you have a society which doesn't do that, oh, what a mess it can be. How wicked you can be in a Nazi regime, in a Lawless Afghanistan. Uh, let me quote you just one little sentence that jumped out uh, from Brian Masters. I find it terrifying that I am an equitable soul. I would never raise my fist in anger or, or try to do something that is harmful to another person. And yet, I have to admit in intellectual honesty that I could And I am very grateful to live in a country where that is unlikely with the rule of law, he says, writing from the UK. But you see what he's saying? Placed in in certain situations and circumstances different. Oh, look, I've got to be honest with you. I could do anything, he says. I could be a law-abiding, sensible citizen, but put me for months Uh, as a prison guard in Abu Ghraib and stressed by what's going on outside the walls. And I could could commit unspeakable evils. I could dehumanize the prisoners under my care and think it's fine because everyone around me thinks it's okay. I'll put me in the right place and uh, I don't know what I'd do, he says. Here we are in Genesis 4. And it's the unraveling of humanity after the story of the fall and God's curse in Genesis 3. See, if you've been with us uh, last time, we uh, spent a few weeks in Genesis 3, but last time we saw God eject humanity from his wonderful garden in Eden. They had rejected him and there was guilt. There was mutual blame, the man and the woman. There was shame at what they'd done. And no doubt, Adam and Eve were furious with one another and exited through different, build, uh, different doors. They exited the garden and maybe it took them a week before they could even speak to one another again. But here we go. We come to chapter 4. And chapters 4, 1 and 2, in one sense, is a positive start, isn't it? Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant. And she said, oh, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Fantastic. Starts okay. But the first human born on this planet turns out to be a murderer. Genesis 4 will point out that rejecting God, well that is a life without harmony. There is a restlessness within once you've done that. And unfettered, not bound by law, or who knows? 
who knows quite how evil that could be. Look, I've just got to walk us through the text to, to make that point. So we're going to go through it just as the text presents itself. Uh, so there's an anger when God doesn't deliver, three to five. There's a warning that sin is crouching, six to eight. Uh, and there's justice tempered by mercy, nine to 16. Okay. Firstly, verses three to five. There's anger when God doesn't deliver. Chapter four, verse three. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. He's a farmer. But Abel also brought an offering. He's a shepherd. Fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, there's an obvious question. Uh, why, why then was uh, Cain's offering rejected and Abel's accepted. And you look at it at first glance and perhaps you think, well, the Lord's a little capricious here. Uh, why? Well, what's going on? He's is, 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 is got a meat eater and doesn't like his vegetables very much. He leaves them at the end of dinner. What's the difference between these two offerings? Now, it doesn't explicitly say, but you get a few hints, I think, even here in this text. First, it, the, the emphasis falls upon the person and not the offering. So as it's translated in English, it's also true in the Hebrew. The names come first. Verse 4, Abel, sorry, uh, verse 3, Cain brought an offering. Abel brought an offering. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but not on Cain and his offering. That's where the, the emphasis falls, okay? It's on the person, not so much what they brought, so there's something about the people. That said, there is a little hint even here. What, what, second little thing, what did they bring? We're told Abel, verse 4, brings fat from the firstborn. The best bits, because culturally you, you want meat with, uh, with a little bit of fat running through it. That's where you get the, the flavor. The best bits of the firstborn. That's always risky. You've got two cows, Mr. and Mrs. Cow. I'm sure they're not called that. Uh, uh, Bully and Daisy. Uh, Bully and Daisy, and that's all you've got. And they come together and they have a cow, a baby. What's the word, a calf? They have a calf. And um, you offer that up to the Lord. Well, that's a bit risky. Because you've only got one. And that's all you've got. If you've got a whole, if Bully and Daisy have been busy and you've got a hundred and you give one, well, big deal. But to give the first one, you are saying, I trust you, Lord, that there'll be more. Gives the best. Cain, by contrast, just brings some of the fruits of the soil. There's plenty there. Not the first, not the first fig, apple, whatever it is, barley that grows. So the emphasis is upon the person. Abel is clearly giving, uh, uh, it looks like he's making a faith, uh, an offering of faith. Cain, less so. But if we're in doubt, the New Testament makes it clear. I don't know if we've got chapter 11, verse 4 of the book of Hebrews. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. Oh, do you see the difference there? It, Abel's offering was in faith. He was trusting the Lord, and Cain was not. So Abel was saying, Lord, here's, here's my gift, and I trust you. 
what will happen next? Well, you know, I don't. Cain said, here's my offering, Lord, now you owe me. This is not an offering of faith. I'm trading with you. I've given you, now you owe me. Now, lots of people think that way. In one sense, that's just not human religion. I think sometimes Christians think that way. But I've lived a decent life, and now, Lord, you owe me. God, you owe me. For the way I've lived, the moral sort of life I've, I've lived, you, you owe me heaven. But that's not faith in God's promises. That's faith in yourself. Well, in Christians, Christians can do it. I guess you can think this way. Look, I, I've given money to church. I've, I've led Bible studies. I've told people about Jesus. I, I, I've attended regularly. And now, Lord, you owe me. It's time you delivered. I've given to you. You deliver what I want. It's the sort of Amazon view of God. I've placed my order. I've paid my money. Now deliver. And if you do not deliver by 4 p.m. the next day, you will get a complaint from me. And Christians, we can slightly think that way. Well, I've lived for you. I've turned up. I've tithed. I've given. You owe me. And if it doesn't go the way I want it to, you'll get a complaint from me. That's not faith. That's pagan religion. Abel says, or said, I trust your promise to bless me, Lord, and is commended as righteous. So remembering that I, uh, uh, we have a lunchtime service of people who are not here. Let me tell you that, uh, just give you two examples. Two people I spoke to this week. One woman, one woman this week told me she was very angry with God. Why so? He's let me down in the past. I've known many disappointments. And I said, I want this promotion. And I went for the promotion at work and it would have been perfect for me. And I didn't get it. And so I'm fed up with him. Because he does not deliver what I want. Uh, I spoke to another guy this week, 30 years old. He and his wife struggling to conceive. Very honest, he is painful. We lost another child uh, in pregnancy. But he said, it struck me for 30 years, my wife and I have had great upbringing. We've both had great education, privileged in many ways. We've known success, school success in our careers. We've got great friends. We've got a great marriage. And for the first time, we haven't got what we wanted. And for the first time, life has not gone right for us. And so for the first time, I'm having to say, Lord, I trust you. You are the Lord. You give, you take, I trust you. Now, what's the difference between those two individuals? One says, you have not delivered and I'm angry with you. The other says, we haven't got what we want, but we trust you, Lord. Well, these, this guy's living by faith. This is a pagan, worldly religion. That's Cain. He's angry, he's angry when God doesn't deliver. So you see, even before we get to Cain's crime of murder, there's a significant question to ask. How do you view the Lord? If you view him as Mr. Amazon, 
I've paid my dues. Now you deliver for me. And you don't get what you want. You will be angry. And who knows what you do next. If you're like Abel and say, I trust you, Lord. I, I, I give you my life. I give you my best. And your will be done. And life deals still disappointments. You say, well, you are the Lord. You're a good God. And I trust you. And that insulates you or that will subdue your sin, that trust in his goodness. Before we even get to the crime, there's the big difference. There's anger for Cain when God doesn't deliver, verses three to five. Secondly, verses six to eight, there's a warning. There's a warning that sin is crouching, verses six to eight. Then the Lord said to Cain, well, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. But notice here, the Lord gives an invitation and then the warning. Verse 6 is the invitation. Why are you so downcast? If you do what is right, you'll be accepted. Hey, look, why don't you just reflect upon what's going on in your heart, Cain? And you can repent, but all is fine if you do that. See, Cain's offering is rejected. He makes no attempt to ask why. Lord, why, why was I rejected? And, and I don't understand. What's, what is wrong here? No, no repentance, no questioning, just anger. And God says, well, look, I want to be kind to you. And so just like in the garden, back in chapter 3, where, where God asks Adam questions to try and draw out his sin, you're going to confess to me, Adam, what you've done? Just so here. Okay, what's going on? He's just being kind. There's an invitation to repent. But then there is the warning, verse 7, at the second half of it. Sin is crowding at your door. It desires to have you. What a picture. Now, here's the deterioration within the book of Genesis. This is the first mention of sin. Actually, in the garden, Genesis 3, there's Adam and Eve, and, and there's an external tempter, the, the, the serpent, Satan, tempting. Not so here. Now, temptation is within. It's within Cain. And what a warning. I mean, the Bible gives many, many different pictures or perspectives on sin, but here's, here's what you can learn here. Sin is a power that wants to rule you, master you, and the Lord says, Cain, you've got to rule your sin or it'll rule you. Did you see the, uh, on the telly this week? Um, zoos, zoos aren't doing so well at the moment, are they? Lots of zoos in Tuskegee. But did you see the place in Kent, the wildlife park in Kent, where the cheetah escaped its enclosure? Uh, and was sort of padding around. Hello. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, yeah, you're a bit more intimidated by me now, aren't you? <laughs> no glass to protect you. Uh, he's a very clever cheater and obviously had the gift of speech. The, um, but this cheat, now at that moment in time, what do you do when a, a cheater's just padding wild around? Well, you want to subdue the cheater before he subdues you. Or you hope the, whatever, the park attendant, the, the ranger, it's not the word, is it? But anyway, the zookeeper, the zookeeper rules the cheetah before the cheetah rules him. And they did, they sort of tricked it back into its enclosure with, a, with the use of meat uh, and all as well. 
But I mean, don't get carried away by the picture. Sin is a power, but the battlefield is in our hearts. But here's a command. It is a command. Rule. You must rule over your sin, or it will rule over you. The Puritan John Owen put it very starkly, be killing sin or it'll be killing you. That's the choice. Perhaps not a cheater, perhaps more likely, you imagine you, you buy a dog. I'm being lobbied to buy a dog in our household. Uh, so the dog is this mythical dog who's got the name Dream On. Uh, <laughs> can we get a dog? Dream On. Uh, but anyway, there we go. But um, uh, if you imagine you have a dog, then you have a choice, don't you? You get a puppy into your house, you have a choice. Either you master it, you rule it and train it, or it trashes your house. It rules you, it rules the roost, it causes chaos. You have a choice. Watch out for that, says the Lord. And the other half of this picture that's so vivid is that sin is crouching. It's a power that wants to rule you, but it's crouching at your door. It's a very vivid picture, isn't it, of the, of the, of the mugger waiting in the, in the darkened doorway. He knows you're coming home. He's just waiting to get you when your guard is down. He knows your routines. He knows what you do. He knows when you get your keeper. He knows when you come home. It's just a mugger waiting. It's a highly vivid picture. And that's how sin is personified here. It knows your weaknesses. Your sin knows your recurrent struggles, whatever it is for you, financial sins, physical sins, sexual sins, drunkenness, whatever it is, grumbling, resentment, whatever your recurrent battles are, sin knows. And those are the ones that he wants to push you on. He's just lurking in the shadows, just just waiting. So I guess the question becomes for you and me, look, we all have sins that are crouching, lurking. For you and for me, what are, what are our recurrent battles? And what are we doing? We know they're there. How do we sort of turn on the blazing lights to say, I'm not going to, you know, I master you. I rule you. You will not rule me. What are we doing? What are they? Let me push it slightly. I wonder if the metaphor also suggests potential sins in our character. Because every strength we have is a potential sin. The, the person who describes themselves as independent, that's a good thing. It can actually be unaccountable. They just never want to submit to anyone else. The person who is wonderfully charming has the potential to be manipulative. Uh, the person who's incredibly frugal and sensible with their money has the potential to be selfish or mean. Sin is crouching. What are the battles? What are the areas, the characteristics that you know? You struggle to master. You struggle to rule. And God would say to you and to me, sin is crouching at your door. Don't ignore the Lord's warning. Cain does. So Cain completely ignores the Lord's warning in verse 8. In staccato terms, we're told, he goes out, he attacks, he kills his brother it's very striking, isn't it? The place where religious Cain had gathered his offering to give to the Lord is the place where he murders his brother. I guess as Paul would put it uh, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, he's talking about the Old Testament. 
and says, these things were written down as warnings for us. If you think you are standing firm, be very careful that you do not fall. City's crouching at your door. So look, for Cain, there's anger when God doesn't deliver. There's a warning that sin is crouching. But then finally in this account, verses 9 to 16, half of it, very striking. We're told there's justice and tempered by mercy. These last nine verses, eight verses, verses 9 to 16. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? That's a very clever response. It's literally, uh, am I the shepherd's shepherd? <laughs> I'm good with puns, he says. Uh, the Lord said, what have you done? God knows what's been done. Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground which opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it'll no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. So here's the word of justice, these verses 10 to 12. It's very encouraging, isn't it, verse 10? God hears. He always hears. Your brother's blood cries out to me. What a verse. The blood of the innocent one cries out. It's a very strong verb, this shouting, screaming. Later on in Genesis 41, the people who are starving and have got nothing to eat, they cry out, same verb. Uh, Deuteronomy 22, a woman is about to be raped and she cries out, strong verb. You, you're, the blood is crying out to me, Cain. I am the Lord, I hear everything. Every crime that's been committed, every sin that's been done, every wrong, uh, every offence, I know them all, Cain. And I will write them all. That is fabulous news to know. He knows everything. That's why we have the English idiom. This incident cries out for justice. This is where it comes from. Cries out. No crime is missed by the Lord. You've got to know that. If you're suffering at the hands of others, you really need to know that. God knows. And so Cain is cursed. Worse than Adam and Eve, they were never cursed. Their labor was cursed. Cain himself Here is cursed. And verse 16. Very obvious. He's sent out from the Lord's presence and lives in the land of Nod, the land of wandering. He now lives east of Eden. So four times we're told that, that he's a wanderer. Verse 12, you'll be a restless wanderer. Verse 14, I'll be a restless wanderer. Verse 16, you live in the land of wandering. Cain is a scattered Vulnerable, frightened man. And here is the picture in the Bible of humanity, east of Eden, having turned their back on God, restless, always searching for something, vulnerable, insecure. It's a picture of humanity having rejected the Lord. Yes, there's justice. But there is a word of mercy also. 
very strikingly, verse 13, Cain pushes back. So the Lord says, right, you'll be a restless wanderer. And Cain doesn't say, forgive me, Lord. He doesn't do that in the slightest. There's no repentance within Cain. He just says, that's unfair. My punishment's more than I can bear. I, how could I, I can't do that. Just self-pity. I'll be killed. Yeah, will you? Yeah. Well, so what, Cain? You've murdered. So what? But there is mercy, verse 15. The Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Just completeness, I think. Seven times in the Bible. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would, be, would kill him. Don't know what the mark is. I read one day this week that suggested that the mark was a dog. That Cain was given a dog to protect him. No, we don't know. But there's mercy. Mercy when he doesn't deserve it. So here again is humanity, restless, east of Eden, insecure. And yet, God does give us time. God does give humanity a chance. Final punishment doesn't fall. There is a period of mercy. Uh, Three weeks ago, Sunday night, I was very tired. On Sunday, a long day, driving back. And I wasn't paying attention too, too much. It's probably fair to say. So uh, driving home, I went through a light which was turning from amber to red, I think you'd positively say. Uh, and, and then a second, which may well have turned from amber to red. Uh, I take no pleasure in sharing that with you. And so I went through a couple of these. Uh, and then behind me, woo, the lights and the siren. And I was pulled over. And the policeman came over and said, do you wear glasses, sir? No. Oh. Because you, you've just gone through two red lights with a police car behind you. You don't wear glasses. Does that mean you're stupid, sir? <laughs> Possibly, officer. I think in truth I'm just very tired. How far is home? About two minutes. Go to bed, sir. And don't do that again. <laughs> Just a little mercy. Didn't deserve it. Mercy, mercy. There's mercy here from the Lord. Humanity's restless, wandering. There's no harmony without him. But he does withhold the full justice for now. East of Eden. There's time to return to him. So let me conclude in these two statements. One, well, don't trust human nature, do trust God's mercy. One, then, don't trust human nature. When evil is not restrained, humanity is capable of extraordinary evil. Have you ever read Steinbeck's East of Eden? Best book, controversial statement, but to my mind, his best book. Uh, you know, the story of two utterly dysfunctional families and how they tear themselves and one another apart. Uh, there's one towards the end. Uh, one of the protagonists makes this comment. Uh, this is a haunting quote. We may even have it. We all have in us a secret pond where evil and ugly things germinate and grow strong. But this culture is fenced and the swimming brood climbs up only to fall back. Might it not be that in the dark pools of some men, the evil grows strong enough to wriggle over the fence and swim free. What an extraordinary description of the human heart. 
a secret pond where evil and ugly things germinate and grow strong. But for most of us, it's fenced in. But you live in the wrong country at the wrong period of history where evil is encouraged. Oh, who knows? You grew up in a certain family or without any family. Who knows? What are you capable of? What is humanity capable of? Don't trust human nature. And so for all of us, the Lord would say, look, sin is crouching at your door. Don't just trust in your own strength. Be careful, lest you fall. You know those wildlife programs where um, uh, it's in some savannah, and maybe it is a cheetah, and there are a load of, what are they, antelope type thing, antelope or deer. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, a herd, maybe 50 of them, and they're, and they're just chomping away on the grass and all happy and frolicking around a little bit. Uh, and then camera pans to the cheetah, who's sort of slowly, stealthily in the grass. Uh, and then all the antelope, they're sort of munching away. And, then, and you just see everything tense because... They've sniffed something. And the whole herd just goes tense. And they think, uh-oh, danger. Cheetah does nothing. Lies there. No, false alarm. Wasn't any danger. And then they're dead. And that's what the Lord is warning. Look, sin is crouching. And you've got to be, don't be daft. Don't be stupid. You've got to know that, and you've got to be prepared to fight it. You've got to be prepared to rule it. If you don't, sin desires you. Don't trust human nature. Last, do trust God's mercy. Here then, God shows mercy to Cain that he doesn't deserve. The Christian knows that God is showing much greater mercy to us. That's the message of the New Testament. In highly vivid language in Hebrews 12, The writer puts it uh, in these terms, Hebrews 12. Talking to Christians, you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Huh, what? See the comparison making. Genesis 4 Abel's blood cries out for justice. Must have justice from the Lord. Hebrews 12, the blood of Jesus Christ cries out for, well, for mercy and justice. The blood of Christ of Jesus calls out, says, look, justice has fallen on me, Father, so mercy can fall upon them. So trust in God's mercy. You've got to trust in at least these two ways. One, for forgiveness after sin. After sin. Look, there are times for all of us when we don't rule sin and sin rules us. We know that. And at those times, you've got to know that even though, once it's our blood cries out guilty, Jesus' blood calls out for us paid forgiveness. You've got to trust in God's mercy after sin. But then second and last, you've got to trust in God's mercy before sin. Because it is in that daily trust in the Lord's goodness that presents, excuse me, prevents resentment growing. 
When you're disappointed with God, that's when you're most vulnerable. When you feel, God, owe, you owe me. That's when you're most vulnerable to sin, Genesis 4 reveals. But if you trust in God's mercy, say, the Lord owes me nothing. He's paid for my greatest deed. I, I owe him my life, but he owes me nothing. If you're in that place, you're much less likely to seek vengeance, grasp. You're much better placed to master sin rather than have sin master you. If you're trusting in God's mercy, just daily. Don't trust in your own abilities, your own human nature. Do trust in God's mercy. Let's pray together. Father, here is a miserable account of humanity having turned its back upon you and quite what we're capable of. Father, would we not make the mistakes of Cain? Would we not think that what we do in this life makes you owe us? But would we trust you? Trust in your goodness. And Father, trusting in your goodness, would you help us to rule over our sin? Not to be mastered by it. Would we be alert to the flaws, the vulnerabilities all of us have? That sin is crouching, but would we trust you? Would we be thankful to you? And rule our sin, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.